God tells his people that they must adjust their selling prices because of the coming 49th year. It is called the year of Jubilee. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Embry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible of one year. And today we're going to continue. Now, this is fascinating with Luke, or uh, rather Leviticus chapter 25. It is interesting. Now, Corey is here with Ryan. What's going on, Corey? I'm going to be focusing in on Leviticus chapter 26, specifically on the very harsh consequences for worshiping idols. Ryan? Today, we're continuing our in-depth look at the festivals of Israel, which were given to the Israelites by God himself. Very interesting. And uh, as we continue to study this, Janice, what did you do? Well, we're going to have our own jubilee of sorts. <laughs> it's our fun Friday wrap-up. That means I can ask a question anywhere from Leviticus chapter 4 all the way through to chapter 27. That's a lot of information. Hope you're ready. Leviticus 25 verses 13 through 22. In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor, and according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price, and according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. So you shall observe my statutes, and keep my judgments, and perform them, and you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, What shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce? Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. And you shall sow in the eighth year, and eat old produce until the ninth year, until its produce comes in, you shall eat of the old harvest. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 13 through 22. On this Friday, it's good because Leviticus 25, 26, and 27, these are the next three chapters in the Bible that we are reading. Now remember, Leviticus is about the Levites. It speaks to the Levites about offerings and about how the people are to be examined and all of that, but it also speaks to the people. And God is telling us something very important. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ on this side, we live in the many blessings of God. Yes, we do. The Lord has given us the intelligence. He's given us the skills. And he's given us the ability to work and to make a living. So we should give to God accordingly. 
God promised the people of Israel that he would bless them if they kept his commandments. Now, one of those blessings was a seventh year of rest for the crops and the plants. And when we learn to live in the obedience of God, we learn to live with the blessings of God. When we learn to live with the obedience of God, we learn to live with the blessings of God. Obedience is a big part of this. This was important for the Israelites to understand. It would have been an exercise in trust to God to let the land rest for a year. It may have even seemed an inconvenience. But God clearly gave them commandments, but then promises them blessings if they would live in those commandments. Now, it's important for Christians today to live in the obedience to the commands of the New Testament of God, understanding that God blesses when we live in obedience. And while God decides what those blessings would look like, I want to promise you this and tell you one thing's for sure. They're always good. God's blessings are always good. Now, you know, this is the last time we'll really be in the book of Leviticus, but it is interesting. I want to tell you the blessings of God. And I'm talking about this in a time when a lot of people don't feel blessed. Many people do feel blessed. But let me tell you something. I am blessed. Rod Hembry, myself, I am blessed by God wonderfully. Didn't tell you that things are going great for me. I'm blessed because God has given me the gift of eternal life. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for the wonderful blessings that you've given and much more. And as we do that, we need to think clearly about what we're seeing and what we're doing. Now, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we focus on this. If you don't have a Bible guide, I'll send you one. Or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, remember that uh, you just click on the Bible guide there and it'll take you to a page where you can download the Bible guide as it's printed and uh, you'll have the exact copy. So it's really good. You're seconds away from joining us. Let's pray that the blessings of God, we understand them. Father, now there's many people today that don't really understand the blessings and we don't come to you. In fact, we rarely come to you as Christians who are good Christians. We don't come to you always begging and begging and begging. But we come to you knowing and trusting, knowing and trusting, knowing God is good and trusting in your goodness. Help us to hear what you've said so that we can make ourselves understand all that's going on. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. Look at Leviticus 25. We're going to begin with verse 13. It says, in this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return his to his possession. The year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hands, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of the crops, he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price. And according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops. 
<laughs> this is great. God explains that his people must adjust their selling price according to the year of Jubilee. We should know always, we should always run our businesses as Christians following Christ. We should always run our businesses as Christians following Christ. That's a hard statement to hear, but it's true. Now, supply and demand are laws and economy. And we figure, well, if there's more demand, we can charge more, charge more, charge more, charge more. And if there's less demand, we can charge less, charge less, charge less. That's how we work. But God does this. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to set apart the time between the year of Jubilee. There would be 49 years. And on that 49th year, God would say, everybody, slaves are returned. Everybody's returned back to their own. Start over again. Start over again because man gets himself wrapped up into the economy and all this stuff. God says, I can't, we can't do that. We've got to have a restart. and We've got to reset things. That's how we have to work. A lot of people are mixed up on this reset right now. But that's what the Bible says. That's what God says. Now let's go on to the next verse because this is important. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. This is important. God reminds his people that he is watching over them. Treating others well is one way of showing our reverence and respect for God. Let me ask you a question. And you probably have heard the stories and the conspiracies and all of that. I want to just say that there is not a conspiracy in the world that Jesus Christ doesn't fully know about. And he doesn't need you to tell him. And there's not one conspiracy theory that he is not over, that he is not in control of. Not one. He knows the future. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows everything going on and he can do something and will shortly about it. So I need to tell you that. What are we to do? We are to tell people about Jesus Christ. Tell them about the Lord and what he's done and how he's changed us. That becomes very important. God reminds his people that he's watching them. Treating others well is one way of showing our reverence for respecting God. Treating others well. Now, Leviticus 18 to 22. So you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments. And perform them, and you will dwell in the land in safety. You will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell there safely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the 70th year? Shall we not sow our, or, nor gather our produce? Then I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year. And it will bring forth produce enough for three years. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce until the ninth year. Until its produce comes in you, you shall eat of the old harvest. Very important. As Israelites obeyed and followed God, he will command his blessing on them. Beloved, God blesses us according to our obedience to him. When we follow God's ways, not man's way or the stock market's way or any other way, or any political party's way, we follow God's way and we understand, then God helps us. Let's remember that. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid. 
not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives. And this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time. And I find that absolutely amazing. Leviticus chapter 26 is talking to the Israelites about what will happen to them if they don't follow the covenant and the laws of the covenant that they have agreed to with God. And it is quite brutal. And one of the things that is said is that your lifeless bodies will be piled on your lifeless idols. So in other words, you will become like what you worship. We're going to talk about that concept. Uh, more. But first, let's take a look at ancient idols, specifically the ones that they would have set up in temples. Take a look. The Bible is very clear on its position on using idols in worship. The early history of Genesis shows the practice as unacceptable to God, which is then outright stated in the books of the law. Despite this, the practice continued in the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, being spoken against strongly by the prophets of God, and included in the moral evaluation of a king's reign was whether or not he tried to rid the land of idolatry. Today, many idols from the biblical time period have been found, and even in some cases, documents outlining their construction and installation ceremonies. Idols could be made of wood or stone overlaid in sheets of hammered gold and silver, or they could be cast of metal. Whatever material was used, it was seen as sacred or sacredly sourced. In Babylon, the wood was believed to touch all aspects of the world, heaven through its branches, earth through its trunk, and the underworld through its roots. Idols were even crafted on sacred ground in a temple precinct. Idol creation was taken very seriously as people believed the idol represented the deity being worshipped. Not that the idol was always thought to capture the god's exact likeness, but it represented certain aspects of their nature. The deity was then admonished through a ceremony to come possess or indwell the statue so that man could show his utmost dedication. In Babylon, this ceremony, called the washing of the mouth, took two days, involved sacrifices, chants, and craftsmen renouncing any responsibility in creating the idol. Idols were clothed in the most costly garments, often dyed blue and purple, sometimes with gold woven through and used as buttons and decoration. Golden jewelry and earrings were also given to and worn by idols. The best portions of food and wine were daily laid before temple idols, after which, at least in Babylon, the sacred food was given to the king to consume. The principle of giving the best of the land to the deities so that they would favor the king and people. With any sort of shame or physical deterioration, it was believed that a god would remove its presence from an idol, so there were many rules and regulations revolving around their care, a practice mocked by both Isaiah and Jeremiah for its futility. So we can see here that that idols, you know, they weren't seen to be the gods themselves, but they were seen to be made in the image of a god. And they were believed, you know, after a ceremony was done, it was believed that the spirit of a god would essentially possess or indwell the idol, the statue, and that people could direct worship towards this idol in proxy for the god that that idol was representing. And the idol could 
also kind of through this idol, the god could kind of spy on what was going on and see. And this idea was the better that you treated the idol and the better that you treated the temple, the more spiritual, you know, kind of points you would get or power you would get, favor you could uh, get from the god that you were worshiping. Now, this was a very serious sin, right? God, God says here in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 30, as one of the consequences of going against this, your lifeless bodies will be piled on your lifeless idols. In other words, you become like what you worship. So you will become lifeless just as these idols are lifeless. Now, one of the reasons why idol worship is such a sin when you think about it is because it involves exchanging the image of God that we are born with. We are supposed to be made in the image of God. We exchange that for the image of lifeless idols, no longer pointing worship to God as people in his image, but looking instead to give worship to other things for our own power. See, like we as humans, we are made in the image of God. We are able to be filled with the spirit of God. We are able to be his representatives here on earth. Not the messed up idol version where we're accepting worship, but rather to point worship to where it's supposed to go back to God. We are made in the image of God. So what a travesty it is when the people of God deny that, not being filled with the spirit of God, not being representatives of God here on earth, not pointing worship back to God, but instead exchanging it for a system that replicates it in the worst possible way. So this is one of the things that God talks about here in Leviticus chapter 26. And I think it's important to remember as well that it, in today's world, we tend to worship ourselves. Yeah. And in today's world, what you talked about was this self-help. I need, I'm great. I need to be great. And it's all about me, all about mm -hmm. me, all about me. And the media, which is television, internet, radio, print, everything else, mm -hmm. reinforces that self-worship. Definitely. And so we, we've got to understand that we are affected by that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we come to you today and we are not affected. We try not to be affected by that. We might be, but we try not to be affected by that. We're trying to teach the word of God. I think that's very, very important. Excellent, Corey. Very good, Ryan. Yeah, well, today I'm taking a close-up look at Leviticus 23, in which God gives the Israelites feasts and festivals to commemorate the Lord's deliverance of them. Now, on yesterday's program, we looked at the first four feasts, which occur in the springtime, and saw that they typified the major events of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. Interestingly, after these spring feasts, there's a long summer break, and then three more feasts in the fall. The question is, if the spring feasts typify events of the Lord's first advent, then what do the long summer and three remaining feasts typify? Well, let's see if we can figure this out. Leviticus 23 records the God-appointed feasts and festivals Israel was to observe each year to commemorate God's deliverance of his people. Interestingly, it is also through these feasts that God reveals his outline for the future. There are seven feasts in total, four in the spring and three in the fall. The spring feasts are Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost. And the fall feasts are the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. It is interesting that the first four spring feasts all typify or prefigure the major events of Jesus Christ's first coming. 
namely his death, resurrection, and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Also notice that there is a long gap between the four spring feasts and the three fall feasts. Some Bible scholars suggest that the long summertime prophetically pictures the time between the first and second comings of Christ, the present church age of almost 2,000 years. So, if the four spring feasts typify the major events of Christ's first advent and the long summertime represents the current church age, then logically the three remaining feasts must typify key events of the Lord's second coming. Because these events are yet future and remain to be fulfilled, there is some room for interpretation on what the remaining festivals typify. The first fall feast is the Feast of Trumpets, which was a simple one-day celebration on which trumpets were blown, special sacrifices were offered, and no work was done. While not everyone agrees on which future event this represents, one idea is that it pictures the regathering of the Jewish people at the end of the tribulation, at which time a trumpet will be blown. The second fall feast is the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, and was a day of fasting and repentance. While there are several aspects to the fulfillment of Yom Kippur, many scholars see the final fulfillment of this as the national repentance and salvation of the Jewish remnant in the end times. As Warren Worsby puts it, after Israel is gathered to her land, the Jews will see the rejected Messiah, repent of their sins, and be cleansed. The final feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Booths, commemorates the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites, during which time they lived in tents and walked with God as their head. While the previous feast was one of fasting and repentance, this was one of celebration. The children of Israel would gather the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before the Lord for seven days. Many scholars think that prophetically the Feast of Tabernacles looks to the millennial reign of Christ and the rest of his people in their promised land. Thus, just as the first four feasts typified the major events of Christ's first advent, the final three picture certain coming events of his second. You know, it really is amazing. God here in Leviticus 23 reveals his complete outline for the future. The first four feasts have found fulfillment in Christ's earthly ministry, and right now we're in the long summer, the church age, which has been going for nearly 2,000 years. And I suspect that the summer of grace is almost over, and that the three remaining feasts will be fulfilled following the Great Tribulation. The only question I have for you is, are you prepared? Now is the time to accept Christ as your Savior if you haven't. Isaiah the prophet reminds us to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. It's time to get on the ark because God's about to shut the door, and when he does, it's going to be too late. Trust me, you do not want to be here when God unleashes his wrath on the world. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it because I care too much about all of you watching. But the truth is, Jesus Christ is literally the only thing standing between you and an eternity in hell. So if you haven't repented of your sins and asked for the free gift of salvation that God provides through his death, through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus Christ, then what are you waiting for? We're not promised tomorrow, you know. Today is your day of salvation. And the way that you ask salvation into your heart, Ryan, is simple. You just simply say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. My sin. I believe that you came 2,000 years ago, died on the cross. We crucified you. And then you miraculously rose from the dead in the physical. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is critical. 
And as a result of that, you ascended to heaven and you told people that if we invite you into our life, you will come in. Help me today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we remember to, to do that, it becomes important. So come to Christ today. He's coming back soon. And when he comes, you do not want to be left out. Very, very important. Corey, you do something uh, every weekend, which is? I sure do. Okay, so we're reading through the Bible the entire year this year. If you're finding the reading schedule hard, it is quite quick. So uh, every Saturday, me and my husband upload a chapter-by-chapter -chapter recap of the assigned reading for that week. It's on my YouTube channel, Corey Babechko, and we just help you get caught back up uh, and stay on track with your reading plan. Excellent. Be there. Corey Babechko, look for it. Now, we have a question. Yes, we do. And I can choose anywhere from Leviticus chapter 4 through 27. Man, there's lots of details in there. There are a lot of oh, little there's details. Lots of stuff kind going of on. But I think you two might be all right. I'm pretty sure you will be. And I'm hoping and praying that you guys, as you're just learning with us, you're going to do great. And if you get it wrong, it's okay, because next time you'll get it right. How's that? So here it is. When Aaron and his sons were consecrated, mm -hmm. Moses placed the breastplate on Aaron mm -hmm. and put what into the breastplate? Did he put a diadem? Did he put a golden plate? Did he put the Urim and the Thummim? What do you think that Moses placed in the breastplate? Did he put there? Do I know. you have an idea? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. And we and you you were nodding to people too. But yes, we also know. We gave each other eye signals. Yep. So yes, the Urim and Thummim. Very, very good. Leviticus chapter eight, verse eight says, Then he put the breastplate on him, and he put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastplate. And if you don't know what the Urim and the Thummim is, look it up because it's very, very interesting as Rod would say. In fact, it Fascinating. is. Fascinating. <laughs> In fact, it is. In fact, uh, how did you determine the way that God said yes and no and all of that? It's, it's, it's one way to look at it. I don't want to go too far because I'll reveal it. But anyway, look it up in the Bible. All right, we'll see you on Monday. Have a good weekend. You know, the blessings of God are very important. And today, as we close the program, I would simply say that we need to pray. And let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, help us to learn and to follow you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And we pray this, Father, very specifically today. Help us, Lord, today. Be with us and show us your power. In Jesus' name, and we said together, all of us, Amen.